I want to see if you can relate, because I've had this problem a couple times in my life, and I want to see if, it can, if it's true for you too, or maybe it's just me. Have you ever gotten impatient with God and tried to make something happen yourself? Have you ever been promised something by God that you were sure He wanted you to do? You were sure, absolutely certain He had placed that call in your life and it hadn't happened. And you said, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm going to try to make it happen. Anybody? Just me? Okay, good. That makes me feel better. So, there, yeah, I won't tell you the whole long story. In fact, I've told you stories about call to pastorate for me and stuff like that. But... I, uh, in fact, it goes further back. Let me back up even further. Um, my wife and I were in ministry together when we were dating on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we got married on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And there was, and I, my friend was a pastor at First Methodist Pascagoula. And I even asked him about being a pastor in the United Methodist Church. To give you a time frame on this, this was around the year 2000, 2001. And so I, was, I actually inquired about being a United Methodist pastor in 2001. That'll be relevant in a second. Flash forward about 10, 15 years. <laughs> I had worked for Youth for Christ for about that long. Um, we were at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, also a United Methodist church. And I got to be the lay leader at their contemporary service. They had a true traditional services and a contemporary service. Do you see the theme here a little bit? And I got to preach at that contemporary service all the time. And, I, and that was when God finally went, I really do want you to take serious this idea of being a pastor. The United Methodist part got left out for a while there. I was like, okay. Even though we were in a United Methodist church. And so I, said, I told my wife, I said, I think we need to go to seminary. We tried to work out, you know, okay, so we're going to go in the fall of 05. So that's actually only four or five years later, really. So fall of 05, we're going to go to seminary. How are we going to pay for it? I don't know. Where are we going to live? I don't know. What are you going to do to make a paycheck? I don't know. And so we had to try to figure all that stuff out to make this big transition, right? And nothing was working. Very close to getting a job at a church that paid the bills while we were there. Didn't work. And I still remember having this long conversation with God privately. Like, God, I'm, I feel like you've called me to go to seminary, but it ain't working. And then I remember going, you figure it out. I'm not going to do that. But I was trying, like I said at the outset of this, God, you've called me to seminary. It's been four years. I'm saying I'm willing to go to seminary, and you're still not making this work. I'm going to make it happen. And so there was this season where I'm like getting the right job at just the right place and just the right timing and just the right details, and none of it was working. And when I had this conversation with God, I was like, you take care of it. I think I've told you all this before. That was a Thursday night on a Friday morning, put our house on the market. On Sunday, it had a contract. And while we were on the phone with the realtor, somebody do donated a car to us so we could go to seminary and not have to pay for a car too. And the church we were in gave me a scholarship that roughly covered half of my seminary expenses. And I looked at God and went, I should have prayed that a long time ago. Right? I mean... I was trying to make it work. I was trying to figure it out. I, I'd heard a call from God. I'd heard a promise from God. But it hadn't happened yet. But as soon as I said, all right, I'll go. All of a sudden, magically, not magically, you know what I mean, God started handling all the details. By the way, that was 05. I still didn't actually become a pastor until 2017. 
<laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. All right. So if you're like me and you can relate to that, then we're going to learn something from Abraham's story today. In fact, Abraham is not even Abraham yet. He's Abram. All right. And so Abram is this guy who lives in Ur with his family. And then God says in Genesis 12, hey, Abram, I've got something for you to do. So this is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And all your families of the earth shall be in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, as far as clarity for direction of your life is concerned, that's a pretty good one. Except there's no direction in that. It's like, get up and go. <laughs> go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't give him a GPS coordinate, doesn't give him directions, doesn't give him a country. He just says, pick up, leave everything, and go. And Abraham, Abram at the time still, gets up and does exactly that. He's like, pack the camel and start walking. And when we went to Orlando in seminary, it was kind of like that. I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know what we're going to do for a living. We're just going to move to Orlando. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course, why not? It's Orlando, right? Abram gets this call from God and just says, and by the way, it's, wouldn't it be nice if God said, this is what I want you to do. I'm always jealous of the Old Testament people when, that, when God does that. Because the scripture says, God told Abram, get up and go. Okay, you know what I mean? We, we always say we want that voice, but when that voice comes, it can be a little scary. Like, especially go wherever I tell you to go, just start walking. You imagine if you go home from church this afternoon and God goes, get in your car and start driving down 55, I'll tell you when to stop. And it was that loud and that clear and that audible. <laughs> That's kind of what Abram did, right? But then he says something, God doesn't stop with get up and go, Right? There's a, God makes a whole slew of promises in verses 2 and 3. They're really I will promises. He says, I will. Did you catch that? I will do this. I will do this. And I will make your name great. I, 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 I. So God doesn't just go, hey, Abram, start walking. He unloads him on him this blessing from God himself. This is what I'll do for you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so you can be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Wouldn't that be nice to hear? Hey, I'm going to not bless you, but anybody that stands in your way, I'm taking them out. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's a dramatic promise from God. There are all these I will statements. But what's, in, what's interesting about those statements is they all address our deepest needs and fears. You notice that? They address well-being, security, prosperity, and prominence. I'll make, I will bless you. Okay. I will curse those who curse you. In other words, I will protect you. I will make your name great. You too can have two million followers on YouTube. Like... I will give you prosperity. I will make you a blessing to others. You will have significance. 
God doesn't just make a slew of promises on this get up and go somewhere thing. He basically tells Abraham, Abram, I will take care of all of your needs. And there are deepest, most heartfelt needs. Not like, oh, I need a new car. But like the parts of our self that we want the most. We want to have significance. We want to have connection. We want to feel safe. We want to be prosperous and secure and financially set. Those are things that are at the core of our being. To have an identity, to know who you are and who you've been called to be. They're at our very core of our nature and how God wired us. And that's where God makes his promises to Abram. Something else that you should know about this. Does he say, Abram, this is what I want you to do so you'll be secure and healthy and prosperous and whatever. Who is doing the providing of these felt needs? God. I will make your name great, not you. I will make you a nation. I will protect you. I will bless you. I will curse your enemies. The I is God, not Abram. So as we'll see in this story, he doesn't call Abram because Abram is some super spiritual awesome dude, at least not yet. He doesn't call Abram because of how Abram's made and who Abram is and how a rock star he is. Because he's not worried about Abram's ability to fulfill any of those promises. He says, I will do this for you. Not I'm doing this because you're this awesome guy or you're this or you've got these qualities. I am going to make you a great nation. God is. So what does that tell us right off the bat? If this, is, if this series is lessons from the patriarchs, what can we know about God from Abram's story at the very outset of the story. God knows we have a desire for connection and security and prosperity and significance. God knows we have those needs, number one. Number two, God says, I will take care of those things. If you have a deep longing to be something that you don't know how you're going to get there, how you're going to accomplish it, if you feel incomplete, if you feel insecure because your world is upside down, you can take this promise to heart too. God says, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will watch out for you. Not because of who you are, because that's who God is. And he is the one that's able to take care of those things. It's not about us or how cool or how awesome we are. That can just be bonus. You know? Look how cool. It's not about our ability or how we're wired. God doesn't go, mm, Abram's got all the characteristics I'm looking for. He just calls him up out of the middle of nowhere and says, Go, I'll take care of everything. Now, Abram does make the right choice. What does Abram do? Okay. <laughs> Abram just packs up and goes. There's no argument. There's no rebuttal. There's no, but, what, but how am I supposed? None of that but I'm supposed to have a job next to... No. Okay, I'll go. In other words, Abram displays faith. Of course, when God says from on high, go, most of us will go, okay. <laughs> but Abram doesn't argue. He just gets up and he goes. Trusting that God will provide those things. Now, what's really significant about this promise is he says, one of the promises is I will make you a great nation. 
By the way, the text is, Abram was 75 years old when this happened. So this is not like you're starting your career, you're 22. Hey, just pick up and move to North Carolina or Florida. I'll take care of it. No, no, no. Abram is 75. And God says, start walking. And there is no interstate. There is no GPS. There is no highway. There is no car. It's walk or camelback at 75. <laughs> you know what I mean? He says, go. But if you, if you flash back into Genesis 11, it'll tell you that Abram and Sarai were barren. They couldn't have kids. God not only doesn't rely on Abram's ability to fulfill the promise, he takes someone unable to make a great nation and makes a great nation. He makes the promise to a couple who's unable to have kids. He's 75. He has no descendants. He has no heir. They're barren. That's who he makes the promise to. He doesn't pick somebody who's incredibly able to build a family. You know, the ones you think, it must be in the water. Like, they're they're pregnant again. He doesn't pick one of them. He picks a family unable. What God wants to do, here's what you need to get from this. What God wants to do for you or through you does not depend on your ability or power. Whatever Whatever it is that God wants to accomplish through you has nothing to do with your ability to accomplish it. It has everything to do with what he wants to do through you. Now let that resonate for a minute. He can take, he can take anybody and make them a pastor. <laughs> okay? He can take a barren couple and make them a great nation, and he knows he can, so the promise is not a big deal to God, to us. The promises are a big deal. To us, trying to get there on our own, trying to figure it out, takes all kinds of energy and is a challenge and it's tough and we sweat and we go, when are you going to deliver the promise, God? Your timing is not, my timing is not yours clearly because you're supposed to have answered this promise by now. How come you haven't? Why haven't you taken care of it? You've made the promise. I'm pretty sure you made the, you made the call. You made the, this is what you're going to do. And you had not done it yet. Maybe we need to figure this out ourselves, you know. So, 2001, I have a conversation about pastor. 2005, I surrender and go to seminary. 2009, I graduate from seminary. So now I've got all the little pieces of paper that says you can be a pastor. I look for a job in a church, because back then I wasn't United Methodist, and so you had to, like, apply, like, you know, submit your resume, indeed kind of thing, get a church, you know. So I look for a church for a year. Nothing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll go back to being a missionary to teenagers, which I did for another seven years. 2017, the opportunity to become a United Methodist pastor opened up, and I went, well, we always said I should be a United Methodist pastor. Okay. <laughs> so God makes an initial call on my heart, one, another call on my life in 05, and it is 2017 before I was standing in a pulpit, for real, like as the pastor. My agenda would have been, you know, circa 2009. Can we start this thing? Okay, we've done the seminary thing. Let's just, where's the pulpit, you know? And it was tough. I thought, clear call. Hey, you're going to be a pastor. Cool, when are we going to do that? So maybe you've been there. So here's Abram. You're gonna, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
get up and go to the land that I promised you. You're going to have that land. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to have kids like the dust of the earth and like the stars in the sky. And Abram was like, we had not had the first one yet. <laughs> right? Now, I'm flash-forwarding flash a bunch of Abram's story. There's all kinds of encounters where Abram, who's a pretty smart guy, lies and, and deceives, conceives, lies and deceives a little bit, he goes to Egypt and pretends Sarah's his sister, not his wife, and it gets complicated. We're going to jump over all that today because I want to hang in on where God's providing the promise here. Genesis 16, first few verses. Now, they still have not had a kid. So Abram does what we would do. And him and his wife start trying to figure it out for themselves. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl, and that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went in to Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to you to embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your, sla your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. Okay, so Abram has been where God told him to go for 10 years. So if you're doing the math, he's 85. Still no kids. He's been... He's been promised multiple, multiple descendants. He's 85 years old. No kids. Anybody ready to start a big family at 85? In other words, Abram has to be going, okay, you, you, you made the promise. When are we going to get around to the promise thing? And then Sarah does something very interesting. And this sounds weird to our modern ears, right? First of all, slave girl, that's not good. But give slave girl to Abram. As another spouse, second wife, arranged marriage. Hey, you're a slave. Now you have to be with Abram as a wife and give a kid. And the language is, it would be like, I gave you a kid. If she gives you a kid, that's how the culture operated. Anybody that Abram fathered was his kid. Because it had to do with Abram, not the, not the significant other. So it would be like Sarai had a son. Hagar does not have Sarai's problem and immediately has a, young, a little boy they named Ishmael, right? So Ishmael is the firstborn of this promise that Abraham was going to have all these descendants, but they were still barren after 10 years. Hagar does this weird thing. She gives him an heir. Now, can you imagine, it, said, it, tells, him, it tells us in verse 5 that as soon as Hagar realized she was going to be able to, successful at this, she started to look at, at Sarai with contempt. Like, see, I was able to fulfill what the wifely duties and you weren't able to, huh. right? So, in other words, their effort, they don't wait on God's timing to produce this nation. 
They take matters into their own hands. They involve a slave girl as a second wife. It works. And drama, stress, heartache, challenge, and all this comes from their efforts to fulfill God's promise. Are you tracking? They're trying to do it their way, and it creates a mess. Sarai and Hagar don't get along. Sarai, who's still the mom of the, the matriarch of the family, banishes Hagar for the way she treats her. So they tried to work out God's plan, and it creates a big, stinking mess. Family drama, family strife. In fact, if you know your Middle Eastern history, the descendants of Ishmael are Arabic. Talk about creating a mess. Middle Eastern war for centuries starts in Genesis 16. Arab, Israel, they both trace their lineage to Abraham with good reason in the Bible. They're both children of the promise, really. In fact, what happens if you read the rest of this, these chapters about Hagar and Ishmael, they come back after they're rescued by an angel in the desert. They get sent out again and banished again. And God promises Hagar, I will take care of you. And he will be the father of a nation, the Arabic nation. So because Abraham and Sarah decided we're not going to wait on God, it created a ton of chaos that we're still dealing with, right? So they've decided to take matters in their own hands. They don't wait on God's timing. They force everything. What, is it, what are the implications of that for us? <laughs> Right? If you're sure that God has said, I'm going to do this for you, is it possible that when we take matters into our own hands, we find ourselves in the same level of complication? That could it be that when we find ourselves with all kinds of challenges trying to do it ourselves, it's because we're trying to do it ourselves? How many times have you like, okay, I'm gonna, I think God's called me to do this. I'm going to do it. And it blows up in your face. And what's your next response? Hey, God, fix it. <laughs> That's the very next prayer request, right? You try. It doesn't work. And you go, um, I've kind of made a mess. Clean up on aisle three. You know, you know what I mean? Like, my next prayer request is, God, fix this. I'm trying to get to Orlando with all the circumstances the way they're supposed to be because I'm supposed to be in seminary. And it's a mess. It's not working. Nothing's happening. Hey, God, Fix it, <laughs> right? If you're sitting there this morning and you're like, my world is upside down, it's a mess. Is it possible it's because you're trying to do it yourself? And it's time to allow it to God, God who says, I will provide for you. I will bless you. I will take care of you. Let him do that. That's where Abram's faith resides. It's not because Abram's a special guy or does anything in particular that warrants any kind of special favor from God. In fact, what he does is respond to God's call with faith. He just goes. Now, understandably, it's been 85 years. No kids. Let's do this. Huge mess. Okay, God, we're going to still trust you. 
Genesis 21. We're not done with Abram's story yet. By the way, he's in multiple, multiple chapters in Genesis, if you haven't noticed yet. <laughs> First seven verses of 21. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. At the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave his name, the name Isaac, to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And he said, who would ever have said to Abraham and that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Are you doing the math? When did he call him from Ur to the promised land? 75. When did he say, I will bless you and make you a great nation? And bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He was 75. When did that passage say that Isaac showed up on the scene? 100 years old. Abram had to wait 25 years for God to fulfill his promise. And by the way, now he's 100. How would you like to be like staying up at 2 a.m. when you're 100? <laughs> right? If you've been a mom, you know what I'm saying, right? 100. <laughs> okay, let's have a nursery. You know, I mean, not any, I mean, Matthew now. Nerf guns, Dad? I'm 51. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, can you imagine having a kid at 100? 25 years after God made you a promise. Is it possible? And put that in your own circumstances. God called you something. 25 years later, He answers. Was God faithful? Absolutely. Was God faithful? When you wanted him to be faithful? Nope. <laughs> right? When was God faithful? Exactly when God was ready to be faithful and do what he promised to do. So maybe the test is, maybe the challenge is, what God's going to accomplish from you still might not have happened in your life on your schedule and on your agenda. It doesn't mean it won't happen. It'll happen exactly when God plans to make it happen. And that may completely exceed your boundaries of when it should happen by. I work with college students a lot. What is primary question number one? When am I going to find the significant other? I'm 25. Why am I not married yet? I'm 22. I'm supposed to have been, You go to college to get your MRS degree. You know, like, it's when am I supposed to find somebody? When am I going to find somebody? That's a huge question when you're 22, 23, 24, 25. For me, when you're 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. Oh, 31. Okay. All right. Sweet. I got married finally. Somebody did choose me. Thank you, Charlotte. Like, God... God's timing, not our timing. 
God's ability to keep his promises 100% exactly when he wants to and how he's able to and when he's going to do it, period. And we don't get to go, hey, God, you know, my biological clock is ticking like this. There's a Cousin Vinny reference for you. Like, that's not how it works. How it works is, you want me to go where? Okay. You want me to do what? Okay. You want me to be a pastor in a church? All right. 2001 to 16 years later. Okay. Four years after you graduate seminary. Cool. <laughs> or six years after you graduate seminary. Cool. I thought seminary meant pastor. No, I can't, apparently not. We don't get to go, okay, God, you said you'd, keep a prom- you'd give me a promise. <laughs> he's, not, he's not Netflix on demand God. That's not how it works, right? But if he makes you a promise, he's going to keep it. And usually those promises are around the things that matter to us most. Security. Significance relationship the things that make our heart beat he knows and he's going to keep those promises maybe not the way we think or when we think but he's never going to fail us and he's not doing it because of who we are he's doing it because of who he is in fact (laughs) sometimes in spite of who we are he does it anyway I know Charlie's weird and screwed up. He's still going to be a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes it's in spite of our best efforts. I mean, Abraham and Sarai tried to make God's promise happen. They came up with their own plan. And God goes, nice try. I still have a better one. <laughs> good try there. Interesting choice, but good try. I've got the son who's going to show up 25 years after I promised you he would. And by the way, spoiler alert, Isaac's name gets changed. You know what it gets changed to, right? If you hadn't read the Old Testament in a while, Israel. Isaac. No, Jacob becomes Israel. Whoops, pastor fail. (laughs) Isaac has Jacob. Maybe I should prepare the rest of my sermon series. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Esau. Spoiler alert for a couple weeks down the road. Becomes Israel. Sorry about that. (laughs) Maybe I should go back to seminary. No. Jacob becomes Israel. You know, God's chosen people and nation through whom the Messiah comes. So when God promises Abraham, I will make you a great nation, he gave him two kids. One of them becomes the people of God. And when God promises Abraham, the nations of the world will be blessed through your descendants. Israel gives us Jesus. The whole world is blessed. And that wasn't 25 years later. That was several thousand years later. God hadn't given up on you. And he is still going to do everything he's ever said he's going to do. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. Our response to those promises is to trust those promises, not the schedule. Let's pray.
God, give us the faith of Abram. Willing to uproot anything and go up every root everything and go wherever it is you want us to go. Not because we're able to get there, but because you are able to take us there. Lord, quiet our hearts when we get impatient. Settle our souls when we think we need to take action and do it ourselves. Remind us of just how faithful you are. And let us respond to that faithfulness with faith ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.